again to all of our men. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'd love you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Had one of those moments where I forgot to turn, put the headset on, so. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to talk to us as we get ready to go to the table of the Lord about what this video said at the very end, about what it means to live out God's legacy, what it means to live out God's legacy. And so basically, for everybody here, I want to look at it in three parts. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, broken into three sections, verses 1 to 6, verses 7 to 13, and verses 14 to the end of the chapter. And it's really basically pretty simple. It's just the loving God, example Christ, and give grace. Love God, example Christ, and give grace. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I remember when I got married to Deb, and uh, we had been around. Now, I'm an only child biologically, but when my parents came to Christ, by the time they came to Christ when I was five, by the time I was seven, we had 12 foster kids in our home. So our, our house was chaotic, and that's an understatement, all right? But uh, I do remember as I got older and I went through things and I became a youth leader and uh, all this type of stuff, and I thought that I knew what parenting was all about. I really did. I thought it was, I knew what it was all about. And it's interesting because one of the statements I came across was this this week, parenting, where if you don't have kids, you might be tempted to think you're an expert. Thank you. Let's see if we can make this work. Do you have volume there? Joel, good stuff. Parenting, where you, if you don't have kids, you might think you're an expert, and if you do, you instantly feel like a dum-dum. Can I get a witness to that? Amen? All right. <laughs> I know that's uh, how I felt once we had Brandon. Now, I also read about this. I heard about a young student who went to college, and he studied child behavior, and he frequently delivered a lecture titled this, get this, 10 commandments for parents 10 commandments for parents as the story goes he got married became a father and the title of his lecture changed to 10 hints for parents and the story goes he had a second child in which he altered his lecture again and the title became some suggestions for parents and the story goes he had a third child and he stopped lecturing all right so this is kind of what I think we can all feel like and appreciate as moms and dads, but even as dads. But I think before we even get into our passage, I would hope that we all know here this morning that God and God alone creates life. We don't. If you think with me for a second about that idea, God alone creates life. Back in Genesis, God explains how humanity came into being. The Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. I want you to see the Trinity there of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And about mankind, that's men and women, he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him male and female, he created them. But I want us also to remember that God is not also the only one who created us, but God is also the only one who can save us as well. 
And so for every man here today, in fact, for every man and woman here today, before we even begin, I want us to realize that God is both our creator and our redeemer. Truthfully, we can only turn to God. We can only turn to God. And that's very important for us to remember, especially as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I do want to get a couple things out of the way before I start reading this. On this day, Father's Day, Father's Day of 2015, do you remember only 15 years ago what it was like when it turned to 2000? Do you remember that? And here in Newfoundland especially, I remember I was still living here at that point before Debbie and I had moved to uh, Prince Edward Island. And I remember all of the hubbub about the year 2000. And everybody thought the world was going to come to an end, that computers would crash. And if you remember, because Newfoundland is the first place in North America where the clock struck 12, they had newscasters here from all the American newscasters and everything else. And everything hit 12 and nothing happened. And a lot of people, I think, were out a lot of money, especially those who try to predict prophecy. But can you believe that it's 15 years later? Already 15 years has gone by, and here we are on another Father's Day of the 21st century. And while you are here at Father's Day, let me address these to men. For all of you as men here this morning, especially if you're a dad, how do you think we're doing at passing on the gospel to the next generation? At giving Jesus to our young people, our young adults, our teenagers, our young sons and daughters. Dads, be honest with me. Are you pulling back from God and His church or are you running to Him? I don't want for the men of this church, before I left Grace Baptist Church in Charlottetown, because the church there was a little bit bigger, we had about 250 people there, we had a number of seniors. And about two years ago, we started a ministry called Titus Two Saints which was for the seniors, so anybody 65 and over. And every second Friday, we gathered together at our church at 1030, and what I loved about it was seniors know how to cook well. And they all brought food and sweets, and it was a partay of greatness of sweets. And uh, we studied God's Word together. We sang the old hymns of the faith. We did all these things, but we got our seniors reading. We used to walk through books together, books of the Bible and all these things. And I remember after about a year and a half, this dear senior saint came to me who had been saved for 40-something years. And he said, Pastor Steve, I've learned more about God in the last year and a half than I did the first 30-odd years of my salvation. Now, I rejoiced in it, but it also broke my heart. Imagine if I have been married. This August, Debbie and I will celebrate 23 years of marriage. Imagine if I said I learned more about Debbie in the last year and a half than I did the first 21 years. I don't think any of you would be like, well, Jones, that sounds like a good marriage. Now, I love the fact that I discover new things about Debbie with every passing year, but it's been a 23-year journey. And that's how we want to approach Christ. Dads, are you pulling back from God or are you running to Him? Many of us as, I think, Christian parents, grandparents, as pastors and teachers, as men and women, we maybe we've begun fearing and even feeling that we're losing the race when it comes to the next generation. I've moved back here to Newfoundland, and I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to, pastors of other churches, and this is what they say to me. Well, we have a number of silver-haired saints but there's no young generation. Do you understand what that means? That in just a few years, as few people are going to church in St. John's, even fewer will be. 
And I think we feel that, and this culture bears it out. Josh McDowell has repeatedly said that he considers the number one fear of Christians' parents today that they will not pass on their values or their morals or their faith to their children. And is it any wonder? Think about it. These are the following statistics as of 2012 that society, we have teen pregnancy has increased over 500% in the last 30 years. A society in which suicide amongst young people, those under the age of 21, has risen by 300% in that same period. Where we look around at a society where over a thousand girls, teen girls in the United States per day have an abortion. And that number is in the hundreds in Canada. We look around at a society in which 4,000 teenagers catch a sexually transmitted disease. We worry that our society is going to seize our kids. We fear that the culture is going to capture our children, that our kids will soon be making choices and living lives and paying the consequences of a value system they've picked up from the world around them, one that rejects the truth of the Bible, one that mocks biblical morality, one that glorifies sex and violence, a world that laughs at drunkenness and rudeness, and need I say more in our country than just Justin Bieber and Rob Ford to make the point. But here's the thing. What are we as Christians laughing at? Where are we finding out our entertainment? What do we find amusing? What and how are we living our lives? How does the gospel affect every area of our lives? And dads, that includes you and I. So I submit that Deuteronomy 6 is exactly what we need to look at. In context, Deuteronomy 6 is where God gives Israel, and particularly every man, brother, father, granddad, in fact, the whole church family here, a blueprint for holiness, for the passing of the baton of the gospel from one generation to the next generation. And it's as effective today as it was over 3,000 years ago when it was given to Israel. In fact, we are going to learn, dads, listen to me, fulfilling the Great Commission begins at home. Fulfilling the Great Commission begins at home. Making disciples begins at home, regardless of what your home is made up of. Whether it's for singles that are here, for couples, or for parents, it's the same. And I want us to realize that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, if you're a, a buff of wanting to try and figure out one of these Old Testament books like Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 11 is often called by scholars the great command and warning chapters of the book. It's filled with commands and warnings. Do this, don't do this, here's what happens if you do this, here's what happens if you don't. They deal with the personal lives of people, real people, men and women who are living real lives. And it's talking about the nature of the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. But it's very applicable to us. And so remember what I told you. Today we're going to look at how we can live out the legacy of God, all right, by loving God with all of our heart. That's in verses 1 to 6. By exampling Christ with all of our heart. That's in verses 7 to 13. And then by giving our children, our families, grace. That's in verses 14 to the end of the chapter. So dads, here's the first thing. Dads, you live out God's legacy. Church, we live out God's legacy when you love God with all your heart. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me, Moses, to teach you, the nation of Israel, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, 
that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. So all of you as dads, all of you as moms, catch this. If you and I will do this, this affects our family for a hundred years. It says for you, for your son and your son's son. Imagine knowing that if you can grab a hold of this, you can affect the outcome of your family for the next century. This is what he's saying, all right? Now he says this for your son's sons. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's probably a passage many of you have heard if you've been around church. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I wanted to read into that next passage, but that's called the Shema. Now, I want you to realize what Moses is doing here. Notice verse 1. This is the commandment, all right? So we need to understand what is said is a commandment. This is not, here are my suggestions. Here's my opinions. This is a commandment in the form of statutes and rules. Statutes and rules that must be taught according to our passage. Now, I want you to see, remember I said that the Great Commission begins at home? Now, think back in, or think forward to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, when Jesus gives the Great Commission to his disciples. Notice what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice this teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You'll notice, see the similarities between Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 18? But notice the promise, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So for all of our dads here, for all of us as a church, the reason obedience is brought out like this is simple. Obedience to God's laws, obedience to God's statutes, his testimonies, is proof that we love God. It's proof that we love God. Dad, it's proof that you love God. Now, parents, you want to influence your kids with the gospel, then obey God. Now, that's not legalism. All right, I'm not talking about legalism, which screams, I earn it. But love, which declares, God did something and I respond to it. That's a subtle but profound difference. Darren Patrick writes in his book this, there is nothing more destructive for people who are trying to know God than legalism. You don't obey for your acceptance. You obey from your acceptance. That is a big difference. You don't obey God so you get his approval. You obey it because you already have it. And that is a massive difference. And as I said, this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 6, is called the Shema. In Hebrew, it means 
hear. That's why the writer says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Remember, he's basically saying God is totally unique. He alone is God. Guys, listen, isn't there great safety in that in our pluralistic culture? In our pluralistic culture now that everybody's questioned, how do we know? We can point and say, when people ask me all the time, how do you know that Christianity is right? I have to look no further than God. The one true God. This is a great thing, and we can know it and teach our children and each other because that means anything else apart from God is a false God. It's an idol. God alone is God, and we're commanded to show complete love to Him. The love talked about here is an intimate love, a love of relationship. It's a love that consumes every aspect of life. But notice in verses 1 to 6, this command has benefits. This command has benefits. He says, if you keep these, it will go well with you. You will have long days. God will prosper you. There is a promise. God's word says, if you live a certain way, you'll receive something back from God. Now, that's not, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about, you know, if you give $10, God will give you a million. I'm not, that's what I'm, I'm not saying if you obey God, you're going to be healthy. I'm not saying if you obey God, you're always going to have the best marriage and the best kids. No, but there are principles here that when you seek God, even when all of the circumstances of life come crashing down, you will have a peace that passes all understanding. My favorite photos of Christianity is not these beautiful, serene pictures of nature. One of my favorite photos is of this bird in a nest in a tree that is on this little rugged rock in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and all the waters and waves of this storm are beating around it, and it's complete chaos everywhere. And the bird is simply in its nest, completely at peace in the safety of God. That's what it means. That's what it means. The law was given so that we can express our reverence to God. That's what Jesus means in John 4. In John 4, when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan lady, he says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So by fearing and obeying God, we find blessing that is consistent with all of Scripture. So parents, dads, listen. Obedience from a heart of gratitude towards God for what He has done for us will have the greatest influence on your children. Listen to me, dads. Obedience from a heart of gratitude towards God for what he has done for us. That will be your greatest influence on your children. That is the promised blessing from God. It produces the greatest blessing for us as well when we rest in Christ and not ourselves. And that's the way, that, by the way, that's the way it is for singles and for couples and for families. Now notice verses 7 to 13. So dads, you live out God's legacy by loving God with all your heart. Secondly, dads, men, you live out God's legacy when you example Christ with all your heart. Verses 7 to 13. So after the Shema, in verse 7, Moses says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, I'm not an expert here, but I get the feeling that says all day. 
I get the feeling like it doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. All right? Look at what it says. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And you shall, they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now notice this. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities, notice this, that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You need to example Christ with all your heart. If we are truly sons and daughters of God, then we are responsible to meditate on these commands and keep them in our heart. And there are three areas, if you notice them, right? Notice these three areas of life that Moses brings out. Moses says, teach them diligently. Teach them diligently. So that's purposeful. That means dads, moms, people that we have influence over, we need to diligently and with a format and with a mind say, I'm going to impart the, the, the faith to my children. Then he says, talk of them. Talk of them, which means basically, dads, is Christ uh, kind of on your mind? When you walk through life, do you have those conversations where you talk about what you're doing and why you're doing it and what part does God play in what you're doing and why you're doing it? So whether you're sitting at home, walking along throughout the day, as you go to bed at night, when you rise in the morning. Now, listen, if I can be so bold, can we just cut the you-know-what now for a second? Is God the center of your life, men, dads? Is God the center of your life or is your children the center of your life? Is God the center of your life or are your kids the center of your life? Moses goes even further. He says, bind them and then write them down. So it's the primary role of parents to pass this on to their kids. But dad, it's your role to lead in this. In fact, I've got some things here. Dads, don't go today, all right? I've got this, this by the way, I don't know what some of you might have been thinking when you saw the color of this. This is dad's root bear, all right? Um, totally non-alcoholic, very sweet, comes really good chilled, all right? I want to give all these out to all of the dads that are here. But dads, I also have this book here for you. I want to make sure all of our dads go, and it's called Craftsman, Christ-Centered Proverbs for Men. I know John Crotz, and I want to make sure you all get a copy of this before you leave. Proverbs is one of my favorite books of the Bible. One of my favorite books of the Bible. In the first half of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 16, all talk about over and over again Solomon saying, don't forsake your father's instruction or his commandments. Then from chapter 17 to 31, Solomon describes what a ch child does or looks like who listens or doesn't listen to his father's instructions or commands. Now, the thing about that is, dads, you've got to be giving your kids some instructions and commands to follow. You've got to be giving them that. 
All right. In fact, the funny thing about Proverbs in our study of male and female roles, everywhere Solomon will say, don't forsake the instruction of your father or the commandment of your mother, of your father. But then he says, and don't ignore the law of your mother. And the way we've explained it to our kids in our home is I'm like the, the government. I legislate. Mom's the police. She enforces the law. All right, and you guys know what I'm talking about. How many times, I grew up in a home like this where I would disobey mom and mom would say, listen, go to your room and when dad get home, dad gets home. Because I knew then the judge, the jury, and in some cases the executioner was coming home. Mom enforced the law. But you know what? Mom needed her husband, I needed a father who gave me the law, who gave me instructions, who told me what the right and wrong was, how to obey and how not to obey and how to live and not live. And dads, that's what we have her called to do. So this means it's not school's job to raise your kids or a Christian school's job or a private school's job. It's not the role of the youth group or of youth pastors or youth leaders. It's not the pastor's job. It's not Sunday school's job. It's not even the church's job. Folks, as parents, as moms and dads, these are tools to confirm. But this passage teaches us that it's not formal training. But when parents, out of concern for their lives and the lives of their children, make God, His will, the natural topic of life, which can happen anywhere and at any time. So when Moses talks about binding the Word of God as a sign, I want you to understand, the Jews, the Jews turned that into legalism. They literally have what they call phylacteries where they wrap these leather bands around their arms and they have a portion of God's word and they put these things around their head. And I have one in my office because I've been to Israel a few times and they have what's called mezuzahs where they take Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, they stuff it in the mezuzah, they screw it onto the sides of their doors and so when they go in, they kiss these two fingers, kiss it, touch it and touch it to their heart and then they can cross the threshold of the door. Problem is, is they think if they do that, then all bets are off. Then they can live whatever way they want because they've kissed the mezuzah. That's legalism. That's religion. Understand what God and Jesus means. Don't forget what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the heart that leads to action, not legalism, not tradition, and not liturgy separated from the reality of life. So parents, dads, listen, don't give your kids church Give them Jesus. Don't give your kids church. Give them Jesus. Now let me explain this. If you give your kids Christ, they'll want the church. They'll want the church. Because Jesus, by the way, died for the church. Jesus shows himself through the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. The church the church, the universal church, is called the bride of Christ. And so dads, moms, parents, church, don't confuse the blessings of God with God himself. Always keep your eyes on Jesus. For those of you that are parents of small kids, really take heed here with this. Don't fall into the trap of selling fire insurance or heaven real estate to your kids. Don't do that. I grew up in that world. I made my first profession of faith when I was six years old because here's what I heard. Do you want to die and burn in hell forever and ever? That was the gospel I was presented with by a couple of uh, twins, teenage twins, who were the pastor's daughters. Well-meaning kids. But like, you don't want to die and burn forever and ever in hell, do you? What? Six-year-old's going, oh, yeah, sign me up for that. 
right? The moment I was told that, I was like, what do I got to do to get it? And they told, well, pray this prayer, sign this, stick this in the front of your Bible, and you're good. Guys, that's not the gospel. That's fire insurance. Often it's also told in other ways. Our son went to, we had these meetings and someone, there was well-meaning adults that took our kids and they talked about the glories of heaven and they had beautiful storyboards and flannel graphs of gold cities and big temples and they were like, do you want to go live there forever and ever? Again, what kid wouldn't say, sign me up for that? In fact, we had learned our lesson by the time we had our third child. And when our daughter Abigail went to school, the church I last pastored had a Christian school. And so when Abby went in for parent orientation and we met the teachers and we sat down, and I'm the pastor of the church. I sit down with the teachers of her class and I say, I just have one request. Never ask my daughter if she wants to invite Jesus into her heart. And they looked at me like I just shot them because I was the pastor of the church. And I said, guys, listen, my daughter is driven to please if you as her teacher even suggest that to her, she'll say yes regardless if she has any idea of what you're talking about at all. Simply because she wants to please you. Now, I said, live out the gospel in front of her. Ask her her questions. Give her a great big God. Show her Jesus in every way you can. But don't manipulate her into heaven and give her a false security. So dads, we got to do this. But notice, don't confuse the blessings of God with God himself. This was the warning in 7 to 13. Notice he says, and when you eat and are full, so when you've experienced God, then take care lest you forget the Lord. It's funny that Solomon in Proverbs chapter 30, my favorite chapter of all of the Proverbs, is Solomon says, don't make me so rich that I don't think I need you. And don't make me so poor that I curse you. And love, and all of Proverbs chapter 30 are these, these juxtapositions, these comparisons of extremes. And this is what Moses is telling Israel. Don't think that when life is good, that now you can forget God. He reminds them of who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In the New Testament, parents, I cannot tell you. If I was going to get my children now to start memorizing something, I'd get them to memorize Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, because you have the wonderful display of unity and humility, of serving, of dying, of trusting, all in the example of Jesus Christ. Dads, you want to live out your legacy? Example Christ to your kids. Now let's look at verse 14 to the end. As dad, you live out your legacy when you give grace with all your heart. Notice how he ends this. Now in verse 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, you're going to see two thou shalt nots and two thou shalls. Verse 14, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in, is in your midst is a jealous God. Now understand, because I find in our world we confuse jealousy and coveting. In the Ten Commandments it says thou shalt not covet. Covet means I want what you have. All right, so parents, make sure you teach your kids the difference. They are not being, if they say, I want what he has, that's not jealousy, that's coveting. I want what he, jealousy is, I don't want to share what's mine. That's jealousy. So our God is a jealous God. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. This is what James means in James chapter 4. He's a jealous God. He won't share us with anybody or anything else. He wants us to be exclusively 
He is, and this is what Moses says, he is a jealous God. Now notice that he goes on. You shall not, verse 16, put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you. Now, here are the two you shalls. And you shall do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take in the possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all of your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Now, notice this. The whole chapter changes. Verse 20. When your son or daughter asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Notice that. They're thinking in terms of, okay, Dad, this is good for you, but why does this need to be good for me? Notice what he says. Then you shall say to your son or daughter, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring, bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Now notice, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Guys, I don't want you to miss this. 14 and 16, the shall nots. 17 and 18, the shalls. So what, the, what does this mean? There is a right way and a wrong way to serve the Lord. There is a right way and a wrong way to serve the Lord. Sincerity is not all that matters. Just because you say, well, I really want to do something good. That's awesome. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Now, this can seem a little bit legalistic. Don't do this, don't do that. If you do this, wham, or if you don't do this, wham. But let's read the rest of the chapter. Why do you strive to control your temper or manage your schedule, men? Why do you love your wife and not lust after other women or watch porn? Why do you allow the job, uh, not allow the job to control you? Why do you sacrifice for your Savior? Why do you serve in your church? Why do you stay faithful to your wife? Why do you sacrifice for your family? Why do you treat men with respect and women with purity and integrity? Why do you not curse and tell dirty jokes or steal? Why do you maintain self-control? Why do you do what you do? The gospel is always the source of our joy, our obedience, and our blessings. Don't miss this because this is important. When your children come to you and say, why do we do these things? God calls us to love him with all of our heart, then to example Christ with all of our heart, to give grace with all of our heart. He gives us these rules and these statutes and these testimonies to obey and follow. Why? Look at what he says in verse 20 and 21. He says, when you come, when your kids come and say, why do you do this? You point them back to Egypt and said, we used to be slaves and God rescued us. God loved us when there was nothing lovable. Notice this, all right? Redemption always precedes holiness, 
But holiness always follows redemption. That is a subtle but massive difference. So how do you parent? How do you explain your lifestyle and your values? How do you tell your children why you have these rules? And why do you have scriptures on your house walls? And why do you dress and talk and live the way you do? And why is your worldview the way it is and your goals in life? Why do you choose to own some stuff and not others? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Dads, parents, single people and couples, senior saints, no matter how or who you are living with or in a relationship with or friends with, give them, show them, talk to them of God's amazing grace. Give them God's grace. Notice what Moses says. When your kids ask why, tell them, Jesus, Jesus, because he saved us and rescued us from ourselves. In Israel, it was from slavery to Egypt. For us today in 2015, it's slavery to sin. And Paul explains it in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Paul says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But then he goes on to say, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, listen to this, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Now you understand why you quote this verse. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Notice this. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So with that reality, that's how you father. That's how you parent. You live the Christian life in light of the gospel, in the shadow of the cross, in the blessings of grace. So men, we give grace to each other. Ladies, we give grace to each other. Husbands and wives, we show grace to each other. Church, we example grace to the city of St. John's. Because dads, listen, dazzle your wife. Amaze your kids with the grace of God. Overwhelm them with the grace of God. Think with me at the back of the beginning of this chapter. There are commands with benefits. Why? Because of the gospel. So we now obey not to earn God's love, but because we have it. We find protection in the law, safety and promise in it. We now run to Jesus and more grace. And so dad, church, exemplify that to each other. And as we conclude, I want to remind us that just because you go to church, you read the Bible and pray with your kids even if you do all of this stuff, it doesn't mean your kids will automatically get saved because only God saves. The idea that good parents always produce good children and bad parents always produce bad children is just not true. You've all know this. I've known families that the parents were walking disasters, yet their children turned out to be very decent people, good citizens, and responsible adults. And I have known parents who have been godly parents and have sought to raise their children up to know the Lord, yet one or more of those children ended up in serious trouble. Because Scripture gives us governing principles for training our children, 
not guarantees. So parents who apply these principles, though, are far more likely to produce. And if you've been a godly parent and your child is in rebellion, listen to me. And I mean this, listen to me. Their story's not written yet. Their story's not written yet. You've got a son or a daughter who's wandering from God. Story's not finished yet. Many of you here, for our friends and visitors, I am a product that I ran away from home. I attempted suicide not once, not twice, but three times. I embarrassed my family in ways I can't even describe to you. My father is a pastor in a little country church in Nova Scotia, and he cried out to God for his wayward son day and night and day and night, and one day God called me to him. And the greatest gift my father ever gave me was that in spite of my rebellion, when it went bad for dad, when it wasn't good or easy to follow God, when it wasn't popular, when his family turned on him, when his mother said that his religion had cost him his son, when the ministry, when friends said that my father loved the church and God more than he loved his son, when all of his friends became Job's comforters, you know what shocked me was my father would not give up on God. And that is his greatest testimony and legacy he ever gave me. So moms and dads, I don't know where your kids are at. But if they're struggling or they seem hard or they don't seem dialed in, pray more. Live out the gospel more. Trust in God more. That's what Proverbs 3 is all about. The issue is faithfulness, nothing more, nothing less. Trust God. Remember back to verse 1. Trust God. Your God. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with most of your heart. No, 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 no. With all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge Him. No, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, we only trust the one in whom we honestly believe knows better than we do who loves us honestly and truly for our good. Do we trust God like that? Do we trust God like that? If you are here today and you don't know the Lord, I want you to know Jesus loves you. He died to free you from the slavery of sin. And if you will trust in Him, give your life to Him, He will make you His child. But will you trust in Him? Will you trust in Him? And dads, as I close and we come to the table of the Lord, don't overestimate your parenting skills. Don't overestimate your parenting skills. We've made far too much of ourselves anyway, don't we? Be more content and driven to trust God than yourself. And dads, don't overwork at your parenting. Oh, work at it, but don't overwork at it. One verse in the Bible, the translation says, He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. God's blessings don't come by our self-effort. They are the product of His grace. Dads, I want to leave you with two things as we come to the table of the Lord. One, I want you to watch a short video by a guy named Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler is a guy that I look up to and admire a lot. He was diagnosed with cancer a number of years ago. In this video you're going to see, his head is bald. You can see the vicious scars of his surgery. 
and I was present at the time that he praised this prayer. And I want you to listen how this 30-something-year-old dad with a father of very young children prays. And dads, I want to challenge you. Will you and I pray like this? And then we're going to watch a music video as our elders come, and then we're going to participate in the table of the Lord because is there any greater example of fatherhood than God? It doesn't matter where you're at in life, whether you've had a good dad or you didn't have a dad at all, whether you had a bad dad, whether you think you've not been a good dad or you want to be a dad, it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. There is none better than our Heavenly Father. But I want you to watch this video first. Let's show them the video, Steve. <laughs> 